This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism and what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Martine. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There is no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and admit they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first one. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay. For anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. Let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a quick sketch of who you are? Sure. Hi, my name's Martine. I'm an alcoholic. I am 51 years old. I am, I guess you could describe me as a local government slash civil servant. Uh, I have been sober for six years now, six and a half years, the best years of my life as it happens. Um, And I was born and raised in Christchurch. Uh, I've only had very short um, times away from Christchurch and I'm not married and I don't have any children. Okay, so when did you start drinking and how did it progress? Um, I think my first drink was when I was possibly about nine or ten. and I was uh, My parents had split up, I was living with my father and he'd gone out to a meeting and I got into his booze cabinet and I remember feeling very sick. And I remember thinking how much I loved the smell and yet couldn't stand the taste of it. But um, I guess when I was younger, um, I... I really sort of drank at every opportunity that I could after that. I loved the way it made me feel. Um, in New Zealand, when I was younger, anyway, getting into the pubs was not difficult. And I went with people who are older. I wore makeup. I was 13. I looked like I was 20. I was never asked for ID. Um, my only problem really was to get the money, you know, so it was good when other people were shouting me drinks because um, I think I had a paper round at the time. So, yes, yeah, so I really enjoyed really enjoyed drinking and I guess to a degree you can get away with the trouble and and the chaos that that comes with it when you're young because we've got a drinking culture and it can be sort of put down to you're young you know that sort of thing but um, but as I grew older I, I noticed that I seemed to be a bit more preoccupied I guess that and I just sort of felt that maybe it was because I was more fun I was more of a party animal Um, but as I got older too I realized that people around me were growing up in inverted commas and I I wasn't really and I didn't want to give up any of my freedom Um, I was just really happy to yeah to, to yeah to carry on the way that I was. So did you ever feel it was a problem? I think the first time I wondered if it was a problem, and I did, I, I did get myself into a few scrapes, but uh, my father died when I was 23, and I remember thinking then, oh, you know, this could be, this could be a real turner for me, um, and that I needed to be careful, and I should probably sort of watch how much I drank, um, and, and just sort of make sure that maybe I was slipping a, a bit of ginger ale in there. I was, I knew that. Um, this was one of the biggest emotional upheavals in my life, his death. And, um, yeah, so that's when I sort of first, I guess, admitted to myself. But it was another 20 years before, 20-odd years before I did anything about it. So did you ever try to stop? Not when I was younger. I think um, not really, and honestly, not towards until the very end in the last couple of a couple of the last probably four or five years when things started getting really bad. Um, but because I'm an alcoholic, I couldn't. So when you say really bad, what do, what would you what do you mean by that? It was it was how I felt 
and and how I behaved. So um, I felt uh, there's an AA expression that I love, and it's um, we we thought lowly of ourselves, but we thought only of ourselves. And and my true selfishness, I couldn't really see until I stopped drinking, but I was incredibly selfish. But it was my behaviour, you know, morally, I was completely and utterly bankrupt. Any any anything would happen when I was drunk, and I never knew. I never knew. Some days I'd be okay, and other times, not at all. And it was like it was like playing Russian roulette. So, did you ever lose any jobs? I didn't. I um, I had an incident at a place uh, where I worked, and I was put under performance management, but without really any sort of specific um, sort of feedback. And I had a boss who I thought was crazy, so I kept on. Like, I didn't want to see any part of it. And I guess the truth was, was that I was going to work every day extremely hungover. I was constantly exhausted. Um, I found the afternoons really hard to work through. Um, I, I had a lot of time off. I mean, I was a heavy smoker as well as a heavy drinker. I was often getting sick, but some days I just I just couldn't be bothered, you know, and my care level was right down there. So did... Did my alcoholism alcoholism play a part in it? Yes, I actually think it did, although I couldn't see it at the time. Yeah. And what about your relationships with your family, friends, loved ones? I think um, they were really affected by my alcoholism as well. And I remember after, um, so I didn't lose my job, but I was sort of performance management managed out. And I remember my mother contacting me. And of course, my drinking just skyrocketed because I was filled with anger and resentment and I was I was a whole lot of things and what I should have done was I should have just gone and got another job but I thought well I've got to pay out so what do I want to get a job for um, I would rather you know I want to pay tax on this you know twice <laughs> twisted logic and it was around the time of the glo- global economic crisis so it was a really bad time to, for me to be sitting on my ass feeling sorry for myself but I did and um, my my drinking just skyrocketed, and I remember my mother trying to have a, a conversation with me about it, and I just cut her off at the knees because I was so protective of my alcoholism. You know, I didn't want anyone criticising how much I drank. I would have just rather not have anything to do with you if you wanted to criticise. You know, because I couldn't control it, and I, yeah, I held I held my alcoholism as close to my chest as I possibly could. Mm. Yes. Did you ever get into trouble with the law? No. No, I didn't, which is kind of surprising. Um, I, I've always been so hideously opposed to people drunk driving, but I used to do it myself. Not, I used to plan not to do it. But then, like I said, when I got drunk, anything went. And I remember when I was about 18 and I got a car and I'd been drinking and I decided to drive straight through Cathedral Square instead of um, around the outside. And I was speeding, you know, and I thought it was really funny at the time and I got pulled over. But again then, you know, like no one breathalyzed me. Um, I think they said, you know, you shouldn't really have done that. And I think they took my keys off me. Um, yeah, And in fact, towards the end, I had a, a partner for 10 years and I'd, I'd spent a lot of time around to his place and I'd wake up and I wouldn't know whether my car was there. I would hope that it wouldn't be because that would have meant that I'd driven it back. But if we had a fight, which was quite often because I, um, 
I was very antagonistic when I was drinking. I was argumentative, just, yeah. Um, I would storm off into rage and I think I'll call a taxi, try, you know, a, a minute of clarity. But bang, if it wasn't there, it's like stuff this and I'd jump in the car and, yeah, which is really, um, it was just an awful, you know, just, yeah, one of the other awful things of my alcoholism, you know, which I'm pleased is in the past. <laughs> so can you describe what we call your rock bottom? Yes, so um, my partner and I split up and I was convinced that I was going to stay sober, that I would never be able to meet anyone because of my alcoholism, and which really is, is, is not an unrealistic thing because unless you're with another alcoholic, who wants an alcoholic? You know, we're not, we're not a whole lot of fun to be around. And... Um, and my life had just become really small, really, really small. Like I just sat around and got drunk all the time. Um, it was less hassle. It was Everything was just safer and easier if I was alone. And so I'd come home from work and I'd sit down with my cryptic crossword, my packet of cigarettes, and, you know, I needed to have at least three bottles of wine. I didn't drink them all, all the time, but I had to have at least that. Mm. And um, so anyway, I... Um, I jumped online and met somebody and I started seeing him and he was amazing and he made me incredibly happy and and I just couldn't believe my sensational luck <laughs> to have someone and all of a sudden you know the sun was shining and my my miserable existence just blossomed everything just you know I really enjoyed his company I enjoyed doing things with him um, I thought he was amazing. I thought he was the best thing. In fact, I probably even thought he was perfect, you know, um, which I can assure you is not. But um, but that's how I felt. And um, and then, so I remember going home from work one day, and I remember looking down at the bottle of wine that I'd opened, thinking, whoa, I've drunk that really quickly, and couldn't really sort of understand why. And anyway, he was he was studying, and so we couldn't catch up that night. And uh, so I potted around home, went to bed, and the next morning I woke up and there was a um, a missed oh there was a message on my phone from him, and it basically made reference to um, to a drunken abusive phone call that I'd had with him the night before that I knew nothing about. I honestly knew nothing about. I remember the first phone call, I, no memory of the second, and. Uh, one of the interesting things about coming to AA is you learn about yourself and about the disease. And so I learned that there's a thing called blackout drinking. And that's what I was in virtually every time I drank. I would go into blackout. So, And it's a really horrible feeling coming out of a blackout, not knowing what you've done, where you are, things that you've agreed to. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd get a nasty fright of people go, I'd get a call from someone saying, Martin, where are you? And I think, I don't, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't. So I just lie. And, um, I've got a headache, I've got called into work, you know. But at any rate, getting back to my rock bottom. So um, so he ended it, and um, and I was, again, just sort of devastated, and I sort of thought, wow. And, and that text was black and white proof that I had no idea. I was in blackout, although I didn't know the term for it then. And, um, and I was driving to work, and... Um, I was just about to go to San Francisco and he was going to look after my cat while I was gone and I'd left the keys at his place. And he said, yeah, you can come and pick up your keys. And he held them out about as far away from his body as he possibly could. And I just, yeah, and I just looked at him and I drove to work and I cried all the way and I cried and I cried and I cried. 
and um, I just, it just, yeah, it felt like somebody had cut me open and, and punched me in the heart, you know, it was absolutely devastating. And um, so I thought, well, I'll, I, obviously here yeah, I need to stop drinking, but I'd tried before and I'd never been able to do it. I would be so foul-tempered and um, and it was almost like I'd, I would sort of try and create a scenario where it's, oh, well, I've got to have a drink now. You know, I'll just create this drama and then this will happen. Or, oh, I have to drink now, you know. Or I'd renegotiate with my, myself. Okay, well, I said I wasn't going to have a drink, but maybe just one. But I didn't realise that it's probably easier to have none than it is because you don't have the phenomenon of craving starting. But anyway, so I thought that's what I'll do. And my little sister got in touch with me and said she was living in San Francisco and she said, come over, I'll, I'll shout you over. And I was really pleased to have the distraction. And so I went over and I was thoroughly miserable. Hmm. And then I kind of, I don't know whether it was my alcoholic thinking, I would say so that somehow I thought that I was going to come back and everything was going to be all right. And we were going to get back together and he was going to say he was sorry for overreacting, even though the you know, the issue was my doing. Um, and I came back and nothing had changed and he hadn't. And, you know, and um, and I kept up the limited drinking that I'd been doing, sort of drink, trying to drink between maybe one and three drinks. And then I just came home one day and I burst into tears and I just sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried and I thought, this is it. I just, so I got in touch with him and said, um, I need to stop drinking. I knew he was in the fellowship and I said to him, uh, if you're not prepared to help me, because I think I'd sent him some rude messages and stuff as well along the way, which is kind of, you know, my, 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 you know, how I operated. And, um, I said, if, if you're not prepared to help me, can you please put me onto someone who, who will? He did, and so that's how I ended up going to a, my first meeting. Mm -hmm. So that would be how you found your way to your first meetings? Yes. Took you? Yes. Yeah. So I met somebody, um, the person, so the um, lovely, lovely lady, um, and she met me outside, and I was having a massive debate um, <laughs> um, before I went in. Will I go? Will I not go? Should we just call this all a really bad dream? Just go home. You can go to the bottle store. You can buy yourself three bottles of Pinot Gris and go home and just pretend this whole nasty, silly, silly mistake never happened. And so while I'm having this, you know, this, what do I do? Do I go? Do I stay? Do I do? You know, and it was always, what do I wear? You know, what do you wear to an AA meeting? <laughs> I mean, crikey, like it mattered. But anyway, so I took off my oversized jeans and my big baggy sweatshirt and I decided to put a face on and sort of, you know, and went off to this meeting and, um, oh, I was, I, I felt like the world's biggest loser. There I was just standing there thinking, you look at the life choices that you have made that has led you here, you massive loser. And, um, but anyway, so I went inside and I was so uncomfortable and so embarrassed and I was kind of looking down and it was just awful. But it was so weird having all these people come up to me, all these women after the meeting talking to me because most of the time I sort of found that people were not pleased to see me and I wasn't sort of getting this welcoming reception. And, uh, yeah, they were just really, yeah, you know, you're coming back, are you, you know. And, um, yeah, so that was what my first meeting was like. So you felt really welcomed. Yeah, really welcomed, yeah. yeah. So how have you managed to stay sober? Can you describe that process? Yes, I... Well, 
I, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even think AA was going to work. You know, don't have a drink one day at a time just simply didn't seem enough for me. I just thought, is that all you've got? <laughs> but strangely, and not all at once, I started going to meetings and I started listening and I started doing some, but trust me, not all of what was suggested. And... Um, and I got a sponsor, which was just, just so necessary in AA because you can't, your mind's all over the place and you need somebody who knows who's been there before to help you. It's just such a major part of it. And, you know, and so I was reading, we were going through the steps. I was reading the big book. I was going to meetings. It was suggested very early on that I get into service, which I've never given up and I love very much. So, so I just, yeah, I started doing what was suggested and, um, and my life has, um, has improved ever since. And so that's self-reinforcing when every single part of your life gets better, why would you go back to what you were doing, you know? Absolutely. Yes. So how would you describe yourself in the life that you have today? Well, for a long part of being sober, I was in the same house with the same car or the same job. But, um, I mean, I'm now, same job, different car, different house. But but the biggest thing is the most important thing, and that's how I feel Mm. and how I feel about me. And um, I guess when you behave really, it's not only that you behave badly or I did when I was drinking but it was absolutely at odds with the person that I am and so it takes away you know and it does it kills you from the inside and so I was dying and so so I learned to love myself and I learned to get myself back and to behave in a way that um that I was no longer ashamed of myself. And so I do stuff like I'm reliable. And if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so you do all these little things like show up, be a good person, try your best, you know, and and, and over a while it just starts, it starts changing. And the social phobia that I thought I had, and in fact it felt really strong, I was so uncomfortable around new um, meeting new people I couldn't stand having my photo taken all that's gone and I'm happy to talk to anyone anywhere in front of large groups of people it's all yeah all the the negative stuff has just moved away as my life has been filled with good stuff and your family relationships have just improved just yeah dramatically everything has it's fantastic even some of the relationships that I didn't I didn't realize were as damaged or even know that I wanted fixed have been fixed in a way that is amazing yeah and do you have goals for your future yeah I do I um and and I guess they're not they're not necessarily sort of massive life changing but I do you know I'd like to you know when the world opens up I'd like to um to travel more and um you know I've got some career goals and things like that so but one of the things I think that AA has given me is hope you know, the understanding that my life can be better and will continue to be better, and that's a massive thing. Um, AA is described as a spiritual program. What does what does spirituality mean to you? I guess I don't know. I I had I had a concept of like a universal something before I came to AA and and I mean I used to meditate then as I do now but it's kind of grown and um, and I often hear people in AA talk about the beauty of nature and things like that and that feels like something very spiritual to me I think 
one of the things that's become really clear is the the idea of um, of coincidences, and really that I don't think that they're coincidences at all. They're God moments, and I've had so many God moments since I joined AA, and um, yeah, so that's sort of what it feels like. It f- it feels like I'm protected. I do feel like I've got a higher power, and I guess. They were there before because I remember crying out to a God that I didn't believe in to take away the way that I was feeling, mm. and eventually they did. Mm. So can you describe what a life lived on a spiritual basis looks like? I, th- I think for me it's, um, you know, it's around a connection and a connection with your higher power and a connection with other people, and I guess it's about trying to do the right thing, and um, I guess that's, that's what it feels like. Right. For me. And if there's anybody listening that think they may have a drinking problem, what would you suggest to them? Um, I would imagine that if you think you have a drinking problem, the chances are probably pretty high that you do. And, and I would say to you, can you stop? Because if you can't stop, chances are you're an alcoholic. And if you're not an alcoholic, then what on earth is the harm of ringing and going to a meeting, it's an hour. It's all it's going to take. And your life could improve dramatically if you, um, if you address this, this disease. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thanks, Martine. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thanks. Um, for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.alcoholics.com aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant grant me the serenity serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.